that was a quote from Michael Pitt from Last Days. Oh, nice. Yeah, as uh, as Blake from uh, from that film directed by Gus Van Sant. <laughs> I figured uh, I might switch it up a bit, just kind of include just quotes from the movie that we talk about, you know? Yeah. Kind of keep it fresh, keep it new, <laughs> keep it exciting. That was exciting. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm starting with a strong one, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, we're uh, we're gonna dive into it, but uh, first, got some movie news, kind of. So this is sort of a continuation of something that we've talked about before with uh, Dwayne Johnson and Black Adam. Have you been hearing about the stuff going on with him and Shazam and all the all the beef that's going on with that? No, no, I haven't. I know that there was. Did we talk about? I was talking about someone. Um, just kind of confused where DC was going, but they're trying to remove themselves from all their old uh, people that they used for films. Yeah, yeah. I think it was when we talked about when James Gunn came aboard and Mm -hmm. got rid of Henry Cavill and decided to just wipe the slate clean. Um, So this is kind of a continuation of that. So essentially what happened is the first Shazam movie that came out a few years ago... um, it was supposed to kind of hint at Shazam going up against The Rock's Black Adam character. But The Rock stepped in and was like, nah, let's not do that. Because uh, I'm The Rock and I don't want that to happen. And so they were like, uh, okay. And so they just scrapped that from the movie altogether. And then Black Adam comes around. And uh, Shazam, <laughs> the people who made Shazam was like, hey, we should have a cameo in black adam because in the comic books black adam and shazam are arch enemies you know they get their source of power from the same place okay and they have a huge history together that would really be compelling to see on the big screen you know those two going head to head and (laughs) sure and the rock was basically like no i think shazam is too lame i need to go up against henry cavill's superman and so instead of having a shazam cameo in black adam they had a superman cameo Instead, because The Rock wanted to build up this whole big battle between Black Adam and Henry Cavill Superman, because he thought it would draw in more people and be more compelling than, you know, what they were originally going to go for. But The Rock was like, no, I want to have it my way. Well, it's The Rock. (laughs) Yeah. He's got some... Talent gets to drive some of the... Well, I guess if you don't have a backbone either, which... DC didn't. That's why all their films are shit. Uh, yeah. They're, one correlates with the other. Yeah. And so D- Drain My Cock Johnson swung his big old steaming influence around. Okay. And, uh, you know, this new Shazam movie has come out. Yep. And originally, because in Black Adam they had the Justice Society of America. Originally, they were going to be a cameo in this new Shazam movie, and then Dwayne Johnson stepped in and was like, nah, let's not do that, because I want to keep it separate from this film, even though it's a shared universe and all these characters are supposed to be in the same kind of superhero world together, you know? Is Black Adam good or bad? It's bad. It sucks. Are you no, talking? No, no. I'm talking like the... Oh, like, the character. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? No, I... <laughs> He's supposed to be like kind of an anti-hero villain thing. It's like that thing that they keep doing where like I'm the anti-hero. I kill people oh, and then sure. And but he's still like the good guy who saves the day. Yes. Like he he's just one of those types of 
trendy like he's kind of like a venom now right like tom hardy's venom like oh he's a bad guy but he's also a good guy you know yeah it's a weird like other superheroes have issues with the fact that he kills people but that's mostly it like that's that's kind of where they draw the line it's like i don't like that you kill people and he's like i don't care i'm black adam but yeah yeah i they were trying to build up uh zachary levi's shazam versus the rock's black adam and the rock was not having any of it and so he kind of stepped in and meddled with a lot of the production of what was going on with those movies. well now it makes sense why they got rid of them <laughs> yeah so he kind of screwed himself over because i guess he's kind of the reason why they got rid of henry cavill superman is because dwayne johnson overstepped it and he really tried to push the black adam versus superman thing and james gunn really didn't like that so then instead of just getting getting rid of Dwayne Johnson, he got rid of both of them. Damn. Yeah. So people are now starting to realize just kind of how huge of an ego The Rock has and just how big of a baby he is in terms of how movies are made and how he looks within those movies. Yeah. But, I mean, most, most, peop- most actors are like that, I think. Most actors are like that. But I think now, like, the general population... Like the general movie going public is starting to realize, oh wow, this guy's kind of a he's kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I don't have I don't I really don't have like a one way or another on it. I don't I mean I, I, I feel like everyone's like that. I don't really know. Yeah. Like if I thought if I thought about a good uh, Brad Pitt comes to mind when I think about someone that's just like, I'll go in, I'll star in your film and I'll do everything that you'd like me to do and that'll be it. Mm. You know? I really don't I feel like all those Every actor has something where they want to have, you know, controlling rights or creative rights over what's going on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's it's a big one, though. I mean, to say this is where we're going to go with the, the film series. Yeah. You know, kind of brings up the question of like how much say should an actor have in terms of like the character that they're playing in a movie. Like, should that solely be like a director slash writer vision in which that character's direction goes? Or does the actor have a right to go in and change things about the character that they're playing. You know, it's, I think it's, that's a tough one to look at because Mm -hmm. there are probably times where like this, he got another actor fired and he's no longer black Adam, but there's other times where it probably works out where the, a director or writer might say, I had no envision of that character doing that. And they took off with it. And you know, like I'm, I don't know any story off the top of my head, but I could almost be willing to bet that there are, instances of that so Mm -hmm. i mean like when you're dealing with stuff like this there's a lot of minds that all have different ideas about what would be the best product possible and you know i don't know you know for me i'd say more of like stay in your lane yeah but um the same toe i mean like that seems i will say this if i was a rock and doing all that i know where he's coming from where shazam probably doesn't have a lot of staying power if you will Mm -hmm. or a lot of um association yeah with kid you know so like superman you say superman it's like oh i definitely check out superman versus black adam mm-hmm. but at the same token you, you should probably lean on or rely on a little bit more of the people that have done this before and are setting it up because it's probably gonna it probably won't make a difference on if it's superman or shazam mm-hmm. you're gonna get the audience you get yeah it's kind of an interesting dichotomy, that notion of like actor relationships with the creative process of a movie. Because you take a movie like John Wick, for example, mm-hmm. like the whole franchise, basically. 
<laughs> Keanu wow. Reeves. Well, I'm saying that because Keanu Reeves. Six Re- degrees of John Wick. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> How can we get into a John Wick conversation? Uh, but yeah. I'm no. going to find a way. Life uh, finds a way. <laughs> um, But no, with, with relation to that, I was just thinking about Keanu Reeves and how he works on these movies with the director. Like a lot of the ideas that they bring on screen are ideas that come from Keanu working with the director and working with the writers. And that feels a lot more of like a collaborative process from the very beginning of those movies inception. Whereas something like black Adam, or I know there was like a huge uh, discrepancy with American history X with Edward uh, Norton and uh, the he, director of that film. I was like, he, well, I guess he has his hands on any movie that he's ever in. Yeah. Edward Norton kind of has a reputation yes. for meddling in the production of a film uh, that isn't directed by Wes Anderson. Cause I think that's the only person he doesn't do that with um, <laughs> possibly who knows. Right. But yeah, there, I don't know. There's just an interesting dichotomy. It feels like there's a good distinction between something that's collaborative like John Wick versus something that's a huge kind of studio influenced. We have this vision for these characters and we need to stick with it. And then the rock just steps in and goes, nah, I want to do this my way. Well, you know, the one with John Wick, I'm thinking more of in the moment or in the scenes, that collaboration. Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. from, from the first movie up to the fourth, if Keanu was sitting with the writer and the director going over, this is the worlds that we want to go. And this is where I think it's more of like being on set mm-hmm. or maybe like, this is how kind of like, and you'd know more than I would. So yeah, mm, I get but, a big impression that the ideas that he kind of helps collaborate on are more of like the big kind of stunt work. like setting the scene, like the visuals right. of the movie. Like that's, what kind of what kind of action does Keanu want to do in this sort of scene? That's what I'm saying. Like if Black Adam, if we were talking about this with Black Adam and The Rock saying that he wanted to do these stunts and the director wanted to do those stunts, I would be like, well, I mean, you know, I, I probably it'd be probably could care less. But when mm. you're talking about like if you told me Keanu was with the director and was swaying him to go one way with John Wick versus what the director and writer wanted to do and go a different direction, that's where you get. That's where it gets messy. I mean, we're talking we're talking stepping stones here to the to a to a, a destination as opposed to being on the stone and thinking about how am I going to take that next step? Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So, oh yeah. You know, it's yeah. I Hollywood's like that. I mean, I don't <laughs> these Hollywood are be nuts. weird. Yeah, Hollywood be nuts. They're kind of crazy. A lot of egos going around. Well, I so a lot of big dick energy. We we I watched uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Oh, me too. Yeah, and I liked it. Um, Same. But you're talking like Nicholas Cage at the very beginning auditioning for that. Like, just I can do a read for you, and he does the read. Mm-hmm. Like, you kind of forget you are going against fifteen to twenty other people that most people on the streets probably know those names. Yeah. So like the comp- like just, you, you kind of have to be psychotic and very egotistical and self-assured about what you want to do. And sometimes it gets to a point where you fuck up and say, we should have Superman versus Shazam in this next film. Yeah. You know, it's hard to have those checks. So I, I, I think that collaborations are great. Mm. And, you know, definitely if you had like if John Wick and you're talking about Keanu and they're asking like as a character, what do they think he'd do? in these moments like yeah absolutely but sometimes when it comes to like actually setting the stage maybe leave it to the professionals yeah 
I think I am of the same thought vein. Yeah. So there we go. There you have that. Yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because I was reading about it this past weekend and it was very interesting. Zachary Levi, who plays Shazam, was going on. Like he was posting videos to Twitter and like posting them online, and he kind of sounded very desperate for people to go see Shazam because it's not making a lot of money at well, all. It's a that's another one too that I laugh at. I'm like I don't. So the tra- the second one's coming out, and you know I I was thinking about this I don't, a day or two ago, just kind of how it's not very uh, notorious. You know, it's not really well known. Shazam kind of seems like one of the niche characters in that mm-hmm. in DC. Now, I really don't know. And DC fans right now could be screaming at their headphones, but like, huh. you know, I don't, I don't. It feels like a weird movie to pick out of the hat and say we're gonna make this one and make this guy our star. Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> Marvel's like, hey, we're gonna take Thor, the Hulk, Iron Man, uh, Captain America. Like, let's write on those four. And DC's like, yeah, fuck that. Let's go Shazam. Well, it's a, it feels. I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but just based on, like, clips that I've seen or, like, images, it looks more like it would fit in with the MCU than it does Zack Snyder's Justice League or, like, the DC that he was building up. Because it was made around that time when Zack Snyder was still at the helm. And so those movies have, like, that Zack Snyder dark tone and feel to it, whereas Shazam is very lighthearted. It's about a kid who gets superpowers and becomes an adult, essentially. Yeah, like it's very tongue in cheek and very, like almost more comic book y than the other films in that universe. And it feels a little bit more separate because of it. Yeah, I would say I mean I, I do agree with that, but I also I mean I don't know how many people off the streets just know Shazam or have ever heard True. That's where I'm kinda going. Like the like him like check out our movie, it's like I just feel bad for you because that could be a really good movie, but you just it doesn't have you're not gonna. You tell someone about the Incredible Hulk. You got a chance out of like what four out of ten, five out of ten people have heard of the Hulk. Mm. You know, like if I grab, I don't know how many people I could grab off the streets and say before that movie came out and go, "Do you know Shazam?" Like they would ask me, like, "Is that Shaquille O'Neal's movie?" <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, that's why I got confused. I thought they were bringing back the genie. Yeah, like I had no idea. That would have been more interesting, honestly. <laughs> So it, it that movie almost feels like kind of like how Venom is in the Marvel universe. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like one of those. It's kind of like a one-off. It's a good comparison. You know, it's and it's it's not really it. So I, so even now talking about, it, it's like I don't blame The Rock for saying let's get Superman versus Shazam, but it's also like why don't we trust the process and if we're trying to build up this and this is kind of you know, but you're gonna only have certain i don't know i it, i have a hard time thinking about this too because like ever since marvel came out people became marvel fans mm. so like i want to say there's like no dc fans but before marvel came out i wonder if it would have been around the same because they always said marvel versus dc right yeah so i mean like in that world you kind of think of like 50 50 split in terms of demographic i don't know if it was 70 30 but now it's definitely got to be like 70 30 because everyone knows marvel versus you know like DC movies. Yeah. We'll see how uh, this James Gunn era goes, I guess. Uh, to be determined. I'm hoping they can get past all the shit and he can kind of... Rein it in. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's 
you're cleaning up a room and you just look around and there's just so much shit around it and people are coming by and they just what look can at, we reuse and what should we throw away yeah and well and not only that but i mean people see it and they go jesus christ you know and yeah. he's like i didn't this isn't even my room mm-hmm. you know so like hopefully you can get to a point where it's kind of dirty but a lot of people forget how it looked previously yeah if you can't if you can't separate yourself from DC and what people already associate it with, he'll he'll be in trouble. But I I've liked his films. I mean, I think he's got I think he's got a good chance of getting this right. Yeah, but he's got a creative vision, that's for sure. Yeah, just having watched his movies. So, speaking of movies, oh, uh, we saw a movie. We did. It involves heavy drug use and wildlife. Yeah, it is called Cocaine Bear. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But the only thing that the two movies we'll talk about have in uh, similarity: <laughs> drug use. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> drug use and lots of hair. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. About the only two things. Uh, so, um, did you want to tackle this one? Sure. Since I recommended Last Days. Oh, there's Harmony Corinne. I guess Harmony Corinne was in Last Days. He was. I was. I was like, that. Why does that guy look familiar? And yeah. then, and then he like I looked him up. I was like, oh shit, <laughs> that guy directed Spring Breakers. We'll talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, anyways, uh, Cocaine Bear, 2023's Cocaine Bear, uh, released as Crazy Bear in other countries because really? they probably can't put cocaine in the title. <laughs> kind of odd yeah <laughs> or they just want people probably to s- australia yeah australia is known for kind of having strict drug regulations in their entertainment really yeah specifically their video games like if there's drugs in video games the game will most likely get banned in australia or the company will have to change whatever they name the drug in the game in order to make sales in that country okay yeah i could see that i mean if you're talking about trying to make sure that you don't like a, g- a gateway video game <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> video games cause drug use well i mean just think like you know if you're in australia like there's not much to do i'm guessing so i could see <laughs> drugs being prevalent if like they're trying to curb it yeah drugs know? kangaroos and trying not to die yeah <laughs> i'm just thinking about kirk being walking around in australia <laughs> that'd be an interesting movie oh man um sounds wacky so Cocaine Bear, 2023, uh, Elizabeth Banks' fourth film. I had to look it up because I thought this was her first one, but she had done three uh, ones previously to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, starring Carrie Russell as uh, Sari, Eldon Enrich as Eddie, O'Shea Jackson Jr. as da- is it David or David? David, I think. David. Ray- and and uh, posthumously, post- shout out to posthumously. Yeah, Ray Liotta as uh, Sid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then a couple other probably names that you recognize, um, but names that I won't read out loud because you probably won't have any idea. What I, actually, I do have to say Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Bob, he is a senator in uh, The Wire. Oh, nice. She- There's a character actress Margot Martindale. Margot? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, see, that's a face I recognize, but I couldn't tell you what she's in. The only reason I know that is because they mention her a lot in BoJack Horseman. Oh. Like, she plays herself, and they always refer to it, refer to her as character actress Margot Martindale. <laughs> that's kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I can see, now I know why she's in this thing, because they kind of picked some, I feel like they picked uh, some social media icons or... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to say not failed comedians, just probably niche comedians. I reckon, yeah, I recognize one of the guys as a TikTok 
influencer guy. The, yeah. The guy with the mustache, the yes. paramedic. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, he got in there. Um, oh, that Jesse Tyler Ferguson's from uh, the that sitcom. Oh, yeah. Um, Modern Family? Yes. Mm. That's where I knew him from. I just saw his face just now, and I was like, there he is. That's it. Tr- okay, so he played... Okay, I was trying to recognize where I saw that guy in. I was like, he looks a lot different in that movie than he did. You think he put on more weight? A little bit. I'm guessing that's what it is. Because I saw him and I was like, I can't put my... He just looks different. They, he from... put on some weight and they just gave him a mustache. Yeah. Because I was trying... I like, this guy looks familiar. Where have I seen it That's from? what I was doing the whole time, too. That was the only guy that, in that thing that was driving me nuts. I'm like, why do I know this guy? Yeah. Um... So, anyways, Cocaine Bear is uh, the uh, sort of true, mostly fictional tale of a uh, bear that uh, eats some cocaine. However, in, in this universe, the bear lives on and turns into one of the most deadliest apex predators on the planet. Uh, and we have essentially some kids that go out into the forest uh, looking to write their names on some waterfall. I uh, get stumbled up into uh, drug dealers trying to find the cocaine um, and some teen, some teens that know where the cocaine is and some rangers that are trying to figure out what the heck's going on in the forest. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I saw this on Saturday uh, with the lovely Jasmine. And, Shout out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was an interesting film. I really didn't know what to get into. And by the end of it, I kind of had my, my finger on what I thought it was with the tone. And it actually helped me out today with my rating. Okay. So, yeah, Neato. I know you said you saw this a little while ago. It was probably like about two weeks ago. Okay. I'd say. So, yeah. a little bit of time has passed. Yeah. Um, I've had time to think about it, kind of let it marinate. I've probably forgotten a good chunk of it, but I still remember <laughs> how I feel about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that marinade must have went by quick. Yeah. <laughs> marinade went down the drain. I was going to ask when you said, when you're like, I let it go by, I was going to say, I don't know. This film isn't one that sticks with you in a um a, a, a vision that changes your life no right no it's not i think this is this is a really good definition for me at least of a uh cheeseburger film or a popcorn flick yeah it's very it, it's it's meant to be entertaining yes i will, I will say that it's meant to like kind of just it, it doesn't really have a deeper meaning it's not anything that you gain any sort of metaphorical <laughs> dissonance with or anything like it's it's very surface level right and in what it wants to do and with that i kind of admire it i thought it was fucking stupid uh i saw this movie and after it was done i was like well that was that was two hours i'll never get back so that's cool yeah this is um yeah, this is more of a. I didn't know what, what I knew. I was hoping it'd be entertaining throughout, and I thought it was. Um, That's good. But well, listen, it's not. <laughs> I my conclusion after it was, oh, this is an '80s B film. This is uh this is an '80s slasher film that instead of using a Mike Myers, this is the Cocaine Bear. Mm-hmm. And I thought Elizabeth Banks. Once I kind of came to that, I was like. I kind of respect it more now, you know. Um, I thought she did. I thought probably what she saw it after or was going after she got right. It doesn't make it a great film. No, God no, no. But <clears throat> in terms of what she was going for, 
Uh, I thought she got. I I like the music, and uh, I, I like the music too. I liked the uh, the sort of synth wave kind of bops that you get, the yeah. sort of like eighties, yeah, kind of throwback. Kind of makes sense with what you were saying. How it's almost like an eighties slasher inspired type of movie. I think that was the tone that she was going for. I really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I just wish. I kind of look at this movie and I think of it almost in the same way as um, Brightburn. Have you ever seen Brightburn? No, the, like that's edgy kind of superhero movie. It's one on the on the that also has list. Elizabeth Banks in it, by the way. Right, um, she plays a bad Superman's mom, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, that movie I look at and I see the concept and I see what they were going for and I think, oh, this could be a really cool kind of idea that they explore, like a no holds barred evil Superman that just doesn't hold back. But it's set on a farm and there's not many people around. And they don't really do that much with the concept other than just have them kill a few people and then that's it. Right. And then you don't really get like total carnage until during the credits of the movie. And that's kind of how I felt about this one. Maybe a little bit less so because they do show more of like what the bear does in terms of carnage and wreckage. But it takes a while to get to the bear. And after a while in the story, spoilers for Cocaine Bear, by the way, um, it starts to become more about the drug dealers and the struggle that they have against the family versus them trying to survive against a bear that's addicted to cocaine. The writing in the scene, we'll just say right now, is not great. No. So, we'll <laughs> And just... I think that's really what kind of prevented me from getting into this movie. Well, they, yeah. It's I like, don't... it's very much like it's set up for oh, this bear is on cocaine. Like, they, they say it so many times. Like, a bear did cocaine. Like, the amount of times that they said that, I could probably count on two hands. But then after a while, it just becomes about Ray Liotta's character trying to get the cocaine back. And then it almost becomes, like, a personal story about, like, his struggle with his son. And then, like, the mother trying to find her daughter with the kid well, that is accompanying her. They do set up the mother and daughter storyline right off the get so you do know that that's gonna happen right i don't think we needed storyline be with leota and his kid right but i guess what more so i want to what i wanted from this movie is like total all-out carnage and for the bear to be the antagonist throughout the entire thing and for them to try and survive against it and you get that probably in like the second act for the most part with like margot martindale trying to fucking run away from the bear and like they run in that ambulance or whatever and they drive away and it's chasing them like that part was fun that part was kind of goofy and silly and over the top and i enjoyed that right but then the movie kind of just slows down and it sort of loses that steam for me towards the end of it well yeah yeah i don't know like when you're marketing a movie like Cocaine Bear, it's like, oh, yeah, it's balls to the walls, chaos, and we're going to watch this bear wreck shit and do all this wacky stuff while trying to get to cocaine. It's like, okay, we get a little bit of that, but I don't know. I just wish we had gotten more of that. I think more of it would have been a – it's a tough one. I don't know. It's. I thought they I thought they handled it. I, I agree. That, well, here, let me say this. I agree. Mm. I thought at times it sped up and at times it was slow. They did take a little bit. They they did too much exposition, if you ask me. There was yes. four different scenes with four different uh, areas that got labeled, and I always think that's pretty tacky 
when you have to, especially when you're going to take a film that will be in one location throughout. Mm -hmm. If you're doing a film like an espionage film, yeah, label every city that you're in so we know where we're at as audience members. And like, because of like, if it's here, it's here, it's here. I need to know when this person talking where they're at, where they're at relative to where this character's at. But eventually, like these films where it's going to be in one location, don't waste your time telling us where everyone's at. Mm-hmm. We know where we're going to. I yeah. could care less. I want to see the cocaine bear. I don't want to see you know that we're talking about the drugs now. They so we should say this. This is based on all. You know, the events of a bear doing cocaine are real. There was a 175-pound black bear that did cocaine mm-hmm. uh, where, uh, I don't know the guy's name, Thornton, um, was in a plane. He was found dead in a driveway uh, on September 11th, which is crazy. Yeah, Andrew Thornton. Andrew Thornton. Uh, and he had, on, on his person, he had 35 grams of cocaine on him with a bunch of assault rifles. So it equated like he had like three or five million dollars just strapped onto his dead body Mm -hmm. uh what they ended up finding was there was 300 pounds of cocaine that got riddled in this little area where the plane went down 300 pounds but as kind of mentioned that there was a little bit of stuff flying out they they when they found the 300 pounds they also found a dead bear right Mm -hmm. and they estimated or the rumor is or whatever that this thing ate 40 containers worth of coke which came up to 35 pounds of cocaine jesus christ right (laughs) and i'm like 175 pound bear doing 35 i thought this thing was going to be like massive Mm -hmm. you know and they said the real thing was i don't know it's probably like a standing up probably a seven foot tall probably three-year-old black bear or something like that 175 pounds isn't that big at least from what i'm guessing for a black bear so anyways how it kind of unfolded actually happened but that's where it would have ended at in real life she takes us through this journey so they have the drug dealers that come in and they have to tell them they're from missouri and they're trying to find the coke and they're trying to get you know i didn't i didn't really mind all that I, i i just think they didn't have to set it all explain it to us like we're like this is like a huge deal. Like yeah. Just kind of have that be the, the inciting act, right? Or right. The, the how things get propelled into motion. Yeah. Like it takes them a while to get to the bear killing people past like when the movie first starts because he kills those two hiker people. One. Or one of them. Right. Yeah. Because the other one shows up later. And then you don't see the bear for probably like another half hour. And then you get into it, and it's like, okay, there's a few fun scenes here and there, like where Margot Martindale accidentally shoots the guy in the head. Oh my god! Or or, or the, I thought there was, I thought it was, it was decent enough leading up to when they get to the cop. Like if you, if he doesn't go and chase him down, it's just the drug dealers out there, and they're trying to figure out how to get out of the woods now. Like they're almost be like predator. Mm-hmm. They're being hunted by the bear. Yeah, like you know, just because they got coke on them. Uh, that's when it, yeah, it started slowing down and then they get into the waterfall. I mean, we're kind of getting like that waterfall was probably my least favorite part of the movie. It just was, it was that whole sequence just felt very lazy and kind of just, I don't know. It just killed. It fell fell way off. It fell off a cliff. Uh, Yeah. Literally. Quite literally. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) like that, that part of the movie is where it just really lost me. Like from before that moment, I was like, okay, well, I know I'm probably not going to like this movie once it's wrapped up, but I'm at least curious as to where it's going. And then once it got to that point, I'm like, okay, I'm not really, I'm not really digging on this. Yeah. You know, like the scene where like it's revealed that there's two cubs 
that she has, like the bear, the cocaine bear has, and they're both addicted to cocaine. Also, there was like real, like, really weird kids on drugs in this thing between the two kids that did it and right. then the two cubs that are on coke. I'm like, I, I was gonna bring that up too. Well, I think she was like, I think it's kind of like one of those things, like, haha, isn't this funny? We're being kind of risky here, you know? Like, this is like kids doing cocaine. Like, God, that's it's, we shouldn't talk about this. And then I'm like, I, I still don't know at any point ever if that's ever funny no like, i don't it, even think it's like really dangerous i or, thought it was so stupid like, yeah the like, whole point of that seems like haha look it's these little kids doing drugs hard drugs isn't that funny yeah is that you don't see that in movies ever it's like i mean i i guess it's something but i wouldn't call it funny or anything substantive or adding to the movie in any way right it doesn't make this thing any much darker or humorous right i mean i don't it, and it wasn't i mean they eat it and then they spit it out so it's almost like a real life take on if a kid did drugs yeah so that's why i was like i don't know how safe we're playing it here with how risky we're trying to go yeah and i just really wanted it to embrace its own premise like a hundred percent like I think take it, the bear put it in a huger population maybe a little more suburban have it break through people's houses and like destroy families and like ha- cause like well, all this kind of carnage include like the ambulance stuff and like margot martindale's character if you have to but i mean i don't know after like a few spurts of craziness that the bear is involved in there's just a lot more downtime in this movie than here's I was led to believe the problem is you have a mother reuniting with her daughter. You have a police officer chasing down the drugs and you have an act of redemption between a drug dealer, his drug dealer friend and the dad. Mm -hmm. Like there's three different storylines going on here. And all this is around the premise of a bear doing coke. So, I mean, like you're kind of squeezing more juice out of this thing than you should. Right. You know, and if you're going for kind of wacky and zany, take out one of the storylines and then like it just feels so unnecessary. That's what I'm well, dude, the end of this thing, I mean, like the guy gets the I mean, there a little bit I was laughing a little bit at the end of this with some of the things that were going on. I thought the Ray Liotta shit was dumb as hell. Mm. I like him and his buddies like, I guess you are a good friend, man. He's like, Yeah, I love you. He's like, I love you, you know, however it go. I'm like, we don't need that. No. Right. Uh, the whole cop angle of this thing, the one guy that goes down there, that his stuff wasn't even like all that funny. I thought it was kind of humorous with the dog, just to have the dog involved, but like it just had a little too much going on when it, it didn't need to. There's a lot of fluff. There's a lot of fluff in this movie that the whole premise of it is just supposed to be look at this bear, he's on cocaine, right. he's gonna kill a bunch of people. Like that's like I don't know. Like, I would like a little bit more than that, but you don't need too much more in order to, like, make the movie weighed down by, like, all the unnecessary bullshit, you know? I mean, I, I thought I thought the scenes with the bear and what was going on was pretty good. I mean, yeah. I, I was really... I was completely fine with everything up until the, kind of the, the concluding, you know, like, the last probably 20, 25 minutes was just, like, it, everything got wrapped. Well, you know, they kill the cop. Ray Liotta gets destroyed. The The mom finds the kids. Like, everything just kind of gets wrapped up, and then it's like we just kind of conclude these these three different storylines going on, and nothing really happens with the bear, and I don't know. They they just they, well, they it, didn't need to have all of it. No, it just it feels unnecessary. See, there's a lot. Go well, ahead. Oh, I was going to say, where I differ from you, though, is I like the fact they're in the woods. I like that this is a small little community out in the woods because it's not like the bear is going to go into town. Like, we're not, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to make the thing possessed 
you know, the thing, it's obviously driven by coke and it's all in the woods, you know, so mm-hmm. it, it makes sense why it's out there, not to say any of this movie makes sense, but the other thing I saw too is, you know, it's like, well, if this thing goes into town, like, you're going to have SWAT come out and shoot it. Yeah. Like, it's not going to, it won't last as long as as much terror that it could cause in the woods between the 15 different or 12 different people that are out there. I guess my thought is if you're going to have it set with these few people in the woods involving the uh, the cocaine bear, you've got to set these characters up to be people that I care about because they didn't do that. Or you've got to set it in another location, probably in a more populated area, and just go balls to the walls with the premise of it and have this bear kill a bunch of people. Then it doesn't really matter if I don't care about a whole lot of them because they're all getting slaughtered anyway. And I get to see some cool, fun bear kills in it, you know? Like, you either go one way with it and have the characters be better, or you go the other way with it and then just have all-out carnage and have people go see this movie for what it is, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to say here. I don't think I don't think it needed to be. I think where it was at was fine. I think they had one too many storylines and they try to they try to have it be carnage with also care, trying to get you to care for either the son or the mom and the daughter, which I did not. Well, in cause you're not supposed to. That's a whole, you know, like the tone of this whole thing is an 80s slasher film. Like if you think about that bear being Michael Myers, Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't get reunited with her mom and go, I'm so sorry, I'll never drink again when I babysit. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, it's just about the effect of, the, of her escaping this, uh, this, un, the, the terror that surrounds her, you know, mm-hmm. which we kind of get here, but at the same token, like you said, there's, a, there's redemption and then there's like, you know, the, the finding of the dog, like, all this stuff that just doesn't it doesn't it fit doesn't matter into the tone of the film exactly and I get what you're saying with the carnage like I think we're I just that would be to me would be like I'm not gonna get into this either because like at some point SWAT would show up and just shoot the thing like unless yeah. you can fit in 40 straight minutes of that which you really in movies you can't I mean it's like you're not gonna have enough it, a day's got to go by yeah essentially right yeah or even just like if SWAT is a concern just you know, the movie is, it's already difficult for me to suspend my disbelief anyway. It's a bear on cocaine that's murdering a bunch of people. Right. Like, it, it doesn't really matter to me too much if they find an excuse like, oh, it's set in, like, this small town and we can't get SWAT out here because it's super remote. And, like, our police division is only, like, four people. Like, I don't know. They could have found a way, I think, to make the premise into what I wanted the movie to be. But I think a lot of the issues that I have with this movie would just involve a lot of changes going into it to make it a completely different film overall. I, I, yeah, I agree. I think, well, and I, I think she hedged her bet. I think what she did was we're going to, we're going to struggle a little bit with the story and we're going to struggle a little bit with the same killing thing. So like, let's kind of, it's a decent enough job for me blending it. Mm -hmm. I thought, but I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the story, I just can't get behind the story. I really got annoyed with the drug dealers. Yeah. I just was super annoyed and was like, I, I think it's funny that they're here, but like, let's not have the dad, you know, one of the guys, because you could totally tell he's like a changed man. Mm-hmm. Like, he was like, well, like, you know, I found Christ and I'm good now. Like, come yeah. with me, David, and let me show you the light. <laughs> right. Like, I was like, I don't need this. No. You know? No, you really don't. The- but... The marketing of this movie was insane, too. Just going to touch on that a little bit. I remember I was at work, and this was probably like 
a couple months before I'd even known anything about the movie. And my coworker comes up to me and he's like, dude, have you seen this trailer for this movie called Cocaine Bear? I'm like, the hell is that? Like, you know, I, I hadn't heard of this movie. And so he showed me the trailer. I was like, well, that looks pretty wacky. And then, of course, the whole marketing campaign of this movie, it's like every other ad you see on YouTube or like everywhere you go online, there's just ads for Cocaine Bear just everywhere. Well, I think they wanted to attack the social media aspect of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, not we're not going to do commercial mainstream TV. Let's just get on TikTok, YouTube, you know, whatever platform we can get on and like, you know, Twitter and just facilitate our ads through there. Well, it's a very, it's a story that kind of, has a lot of internet lore around it or like internet discussions of it like Mm -hmm. oh wow think about this bear doing cocaine like he probably would have been the most powerful apex predator ever right in that moment let's see what we can do with that premise and you know people got fun you know ideas from it and they got had fun thinking about that premise yeah and so when that idea kind of is introduced to the online community and it thrives that way it's like okay, that's going to spread like wildfire. Word of mouth is going to do this movie really well. And I'm curious what the box office on it is, actually, now that I think about it. I think I saw it was at 58.5. So it had a budget of $35 million at most, and then it made $81.7 million. So oh, it wasn't, really? Yeah, it wasn't terribly performed. Um, probably make $100 million at the end of its theatrical run. Um, yeah. You know, DVD sales... TBD, but I mean, I still think this film. I think this film is still fun. I'm not gonna. I I, I won't take it. It has it some away. fun moments. Yeah. I I see. You had like if you're not, and I didn't get invested into the characters. I guess it was just kind of. I don't know. It's hard for me to say because I really I got when they get when they got on the gazebo. I just really didn't care about all that, and that's that was stupid. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just like <laughs> any scene that didn't involve the bear killing people, I was not interested in. And there was a lot of moments in the movie that were like that. You know? Well, at the beginning, you give it a pass, right? Because you're kind of setting us up where we're going. You know? Yeah, and like then, I wasn't gonna judge it too harshly at that point. No, the kid stuff, I was like, all right, this is uh, don't need this. Don't really care what these, these kids, kids are, are terrible doing. actors like this is all bad yeah well i mean the the one the little boy had a couple funny lines but you know um mm-hmm. and then the drug dealers come in they had that fight scene i thought was funny and then walking or having that kid walk him around i thought that was kind of funny i mean and then it was just kind of i mean that it was there was almost an element of jaws in here about you know where's it going to come from next you kind of would have these things get set up where you knew it was coming just didn't know where and then some of the i mean and then some of the times just walk up out of the woods you know and i mean it i thought like i was i was really good until we got to the gazebo and then ray liotta came back in and just and then it turned into a drug hunt yeah and then that's when the the movie kind of shifted from it turns into a poor man's no country for old men basically no don't don't how dare you <laughs> I, no. that's why i said poor man no not even poor man's this isn't even there wasn't even no no country he's got the money and he's running i mean this one is <laughs> they're on the search for drugs and he's like it just it shifted tones a little bit yes right it did. I think that's the easiest way to say it. Mm-hmm. It went from this really fun 80s slasher film to, all right, now we got to go find the drugs. And that, that, there's some elements of that from the 80s. I mean, she, I think she really pulled from from the 80s in this, but like, just not needed. Yeah. Not needed. Yeah. I think my favorite parts of this movie was the scene with Margot Martindale and the paramedics. I liked that. I liked that stuff. Yeah. And then where she accidentally shoots the guy in the head. 
uh, when the bear shows up at the front door. And then the soundtrack was also pretty fun. Mm -hmm. The kind of little synthy bops that we get throughout it. It was kind of fun. I was like, oh, okay. Even the end credits. They had this song in the end credits that I really liked that I'll probably have on Spotify. Yeah. I was like, at least I can enjoy the soundtrack of this movie. I thought it. I mean, the bear looked great. I mean, I wasn't sitting here going like, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, you can obviously tell it's animated, but it's not. It wasn't distracting to me. There are some shots of it where it looked pretty, forgive the pun, grisly. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. When it's got blood everywhere and it's roaring. Well, just like the shot where the guy with the, the TikTok guy with the mustache yeah. opens the door and the bear's in the shadows and it kind of creeps out. It's like, oh, that's a little... That's a little frightening. Yeah, that's, right. That's pretty effectively creepy. And like, then when they, I ha- like that they include that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it. It. There. Yeah. It had. It had. It had spots. It, I really think, dude. I'm gonna. I will say, two thirds of this film, I was completely fine with, and it was entertaining. Yeah. I don't know how you end it if you take out Ray Liotta and the whole drug angle of it, because the problem too is at the very end there, they almost make the bear like a hero. You right, know, and I, just, I did not like that. that I, was I like, didn't either. The vi- the villain of this movie is supposed to be the bear. Yeah, like, like they're trying to make it like drugs. It's supposed to be the... like a Jaws situation. Yes. Like nature is the enemy. Yes. But then Ray Liotta comes and he's like, I'm the bad guy. You know, well, I'm not going to, I don't want to spoil anything. But yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I'm going to get the drugs. Now we got to, we got to kill this bear. And it's almost like I was like, I got really pissed too. Cause I was like, well, fuck, I don't want him, but I also want the bear dead. Well, it's like, we're supposed to care about the bear now that we know that the bear has cubs. Like that was, even... a, that was a weird through line through the movie it's like okay we're introduced to these cubs and it's like oh now we don't want the bear to die yeah like she well she was like like, what (laughs) you know what i mean that's what i'm saying too the writing in this thing was just really poorly written they had there was one scene that they they're walking to the cave and they had to explain to us that one of the guys was dead so that hiker so we don't want to end up like the hiker now, do we? Or whatever. And then they had to do the smash cut of seeing the hiker. Mm-hmm. It's like, we don't even see the bear. It's just to show us, hey, guys, don't forget this guy died. He was yeah. here. And now he's not here. Like, there's a couple instances of like, oh, just in case we forgot or you guys forgot, we're going to tell you again. That smash cut was so weird. <laughs> that was so disjointed and out of place. I was like, what? Why didn't they just have this be Dude, linear? <laughs> they had that. The exact, well, and you heard the guys screaming when they were in the cave, when the kids and the mom were in that cave, the guy started screaming. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, he's dead. Like, I didn't need any more than that right and if you're not gonna really show me you're just gonna show me this like really grotesque like image of a guy like i'm good i've already seen worse than that already what you guys have like have shown us already trying to shoot this out of order where are you gus van zant (laughs) teaser for our next combo yeah and then there was the whole scene with the cubs russian ray Liotta, and he's like get get off me someone shoot these cubs it's like one you have a gun you Mm -hmm. could shoot them yourself and two they're just cubs. You could kick them off the cliff. Like, oh, yeah. if you really don't care about the bear cubs, just fucking punt them. Like, That's what I was thinking, too. I was just saying, so I was like, dumb. oh, my God. I was like, one of these things is going to get killed, and then I'm going to I'm gonna be like, well, go get him now, mama bear. You know, I was, I think I was pissed off because I was sitting there like, God damn it. Like, why are they pitting the two things that, in this film that no one's rooting for against each other? Right. And it's like, what's what's worse? What is the bear worse? It can't be worse. It just did coke. Ray Liotta's worse. He's the one that gave the bear coke. And it's like, why do we have to sit here and have this struggle? Like, why couldn't you have just sent the two drug dealers stumble up on the mom and then it's all five of them trying to get out? Look right. at that, right? Yeah, there's no need for Ray Liotta to be the new antagonist or to have that sort of conflict come about in place of the cocaine bear, you know? 
Emma's, I could almost see the writing being like, well, we got the detective on the gazebo and we got to take him out and the guys can't take him out and the bear can't go up on the gazebo. How do we get him out? It's, it's almost, like, yeah, it's almost like they wrote themselves into a corner. Yeah, that's what I, that's honestly like, I, I, that's what I'm saying. If you take that mm-hmm. detective out of there, because really there's no need, it was out of his jurisdiction and all that shit. Like they, his whole thing, he was in the thing for six minutes and just was like, whatever. The yeah. funniest thing he gave us was that dog thing. I thought he was really hitting on that chick. He's like, can you watch my dog? <laughs> right i thought that too i was like oh okay getting a little cheeky with this huh movie was uh was there anything else we wanted to say about cocaine bear no i don't really think there's any there's i i i i still think it's fun i think this is a movie that you could easily well i shouldn't say easily this is a halloween type movie kind of getting around that time that you could throw on if you have people over and have a like a decent laugh as long as you're not into the film mm-hmm this is a great, probably background filler time film. Yeah. If you don't want to get invested and you just kind of happen to look over, because there's a lot of the time with the bear on there. The bear is pretty realistic looking. Um, there's some, I don't want to say it's not like witty dialogue or anything, but there's just some fun moments with very, uh, <laughs> some of the people, it, they're, it's not wholesome, and I don't want to call them ignorant. It's very tongue-in-cheek. Well, you know, yeah, but I'm trying to think of the type of person that's uh, unoblivious, maybe, oh, you know, unassuming, yeah. naive. Yeah, kind of. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, you have your lot in life and you're just going through and all this, you know, you're not really paying attention to anything else. And you really don't care what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just happy to be out where you're at. So um, there's a lot of that going on. So some of the some of the dialogue feels it's not genuine, but definitely there's no tricks involved with it. Gotcha. So what would you rate this movie? Uh, I've been t- I've been going back and forth. Uh, so I had it I had it at a six, and then today I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? That, that's a little bit more fun. I think I remember more of the fun moments and just how easy it was to watch this thing. So I gave it a seven, and then after kind of going back and thinking about the story and how pissed off I really was, because mm-hmm. I'm telling you that from the gazebo to Ray Liotta's death, I was really like just shaking my head like you're you not had, feeling it well you had those you had it going for you you were so close mm. they have the the paramedic scene right mm. that's literally the last scene before we get to the gazebo yeah right you had all that that was kind of like the last little oh man if this gets even worse or if we can get this mom with her daughter sooner and trying to figure out how we get away from this thing whatever it is you know they, they there's a lot they could have had going if they didn't have all these fucking storylines in there and then they shit on themselves so i'm, I'm back at a six I, i'm at a six out of ten because i i liked it a little bit more than you in terms of entertainment value mm. um because i and i knew i wasn't going to care about any of the characters so I, I didn't really have that going on where i wanted to know what was going on but it definitely it fucked up the, the movie because of what she was trying to do with them yeah um i like the soundtrack soundtrack was pretty cool yep i'm giving this one a three out of ten uh probably won't watch this again if i have my way but i might listen to the bops the bops were kind of cool i like the soundtrack and uh margo martindale was pretty zany she's she was well cast as that character i will say as a very bombastic park ranger if you there's a good 30 minute run in this movie that I would say it's like entertaining. I mean, I shouldn't say it like that because I was inter- mostly entertained throughout. From when when Carrie Russell gets to the park, yes. to the ambulance crashing, I would say is a, the most solid chunk of the movie. That, that's what I'm saying. That's like a good, you know. And I don't, I'm not, I don't have as big of an issue with the exposition as you do. I think, mm-hmm. 
but though the the kid there's a couple scenes in there that probably could get taken out and i think maybe i'm just being biased because if I, I, I choose to remember what i like and just discard everything else well like a good that's turkey. not a bad way to live yeah <laughs> sometimes i envy that <laughs> uh seared into your brain huh speaking of envy whoa uh kurt cobain lived his life with envy for people who adored uh the crowd that they performed for and this film that we're going to talk about is based on the last days of his life yes. oh speaking of last days uh, we watched Last Days by Gus Van Sant. Last Days. Yeah. Uh, so I recommended this film. Uh, this is the third film in Gus Van Sant's death trilogy. The first one being Jerry, starring ben, uh, not Ben Affleck, Casey Affleck and Matt Damon. And then the second one being Elephant, which is based on the Columbine school shooting that stars a bunch of people that you won't recognize. Because uh, there's not that many big actors in it at all. And then this one is the third in that trilogy called Last Days, which stars Michael Pitt as the character of Blake, which is very heavily, not at all subtly, based on Kurt <laughs> Cobain. Uh, and it basically follows him after he gets out of rehab. And I, by gets out, I mean breaks out, essentially. And you're basically just following him and his character uh, struggling f- throughout the last few days of his life before something tragic happens. Uh, and if you know the story of Kurt Cobain well enough, you can pretty much guess to as to where that ends up. So spoilers for last days. There if, you go. If uh, you know, if you haven't seen this movie yet, check it out if you want. Um, and then you can hear our thoughts on it. Yeah. So before I watched this movie, um, I saw Elephant. Elephant was the first one that I saw in this trilogy, and I enjoyed it overall. It's very dry. It almost feels like a very objective point of view of what these kids' lives were like during the day that the school shooting took place. And it's not at all subtle in its inspiration from where they get their material for the film. Like, the characters are very much dressed the same as the school shooters in Columbine. And uh, I saw Jerry, actually, after this film... And that's a very more, that's a lot more of an intimate kind of film with just those two characters as they're finding their way through uh, the desert, essentially. And then this one is just following this character. And it's very much like all these films have a very similar through line in that you feel very distant from the characters. And it's a very minimalistic depiction of how they live their lives and what they're going through and like how they're portrayed on screen. Like it's, there's, it's kind of cold and it's very separate. Like you're not really getting invested in these characters as much as you are invested in what's taking place in the scene overall. At least I think that's what the goal of what Gus Van Sant wanted. Yeah. Oh yeah. A hundred year. It's the, it's the magnifying glass. Yeah. You're living in the moment and you're one, I mean, you're watching what is going on with the character kind of, I think there's a lot of projecting going on mm-hmm. as what, as audience members, how we would be or what we're feeling as we kind of look at what this guy's going through in his last days, you know? Yeah. So there's a little, yeah. This, this movie feels different from elephant in that 
Elephant felt very much like, oh, this is a very fly-on-the-wall type of film where you're almost supposed to look at these events in an objective way. Like, you're just kind of supposed to take them at face value, whereas this movie feels more so like you're supposed to be involved with the character of Blake. Like, you're kind of supposed to see what he's going through and take away whatever it is you take away from that. And I don't know. It's it's interesting to me the way that he made this movie. I I've been talking quite a bit. What did you think of this? Uh, so I've seen the, I've seen a little bit of it before. I know we've talked about it. Um, I, I I just kept in and out of the film. I would kind of just look stuff up, just kind of interested. So one of the things that uh, so as we've kind of talked about, I mean, this is loosely based on Kurt Cobain and his last days, right? I mean, it's loosely. Gus Van Sant actually wrote a film, a biopic for Kurt Cobain. Uh, and became really good friends. Oh, Courtney Love said, "We're not. You're not doing it mm-hmm. as part of like the state or whatever. You're not doing it." So he got really close with Courtney, and by the end of it, I mean, well, not by the end of it, but as their relationship blossomed, and they talked more and more, and Gus was probably trying to like, "Hey, why don't you do it?" They eventually do, ended up becoming friends, and it was like, "Listen, I really like what you know you want to say about Kurt, but and we're you can't make a biopic about him." So he probably told her hey as loosely terms as i am we're gonna do this but we just won't use kurt mm-hmm. they'll just be inferred that it's kurt cobain so uh no this is like in terms of feeling being on heroin and trying to kill yourself probably the closest you could get <laughs> well probably not i'm sure that there are darker times this is a very surreal look at like what is kind of going on and it's almost like the pacing is so methodical in how he's going and drudging through it like you feel like you're watching his brain operate in time the disorientation the the edits that don't make sense like timelines that kind of get chopped up i mean it, it's almost like you know if you were on drugs i mean that's kind of how you would remember the the previous day it would mm. be hey didn't we go here and it's like no we went after this part is like when we were at that at the bar you know like you're we didn't go at noon like you're like we, you had already ate mcdonald's before we got out there it's like are you sure so and i feel like that's why a lot of there's a lot of like you know like you said minimalist there's a lot of like just one shot takes of the camera just sitting maybe panning but not really moving you mm-hmm. know there's like one tracking shot where it's slowly pan well there's a tracking shot but it, um a lot of the shots are just set on the on the tripod and just following yes you know or just observing yeah and um yeah it, it's very i mean it's, it's very melancholy and uh i mean you know, for, and I will say I'll bring up points of what I watched today with a montage of heck. But this is, uh, I would say, this is almost a more uh, glamorous view of deciding to take your life than probably what Kurt Cobain was actually going through at the time. Yeah, I don't know. See, that's the thing I was struggling with too: is how much of this movie like romanticizes the idea of being angry with the world and being on drugs and wanting to kill yourself. And how much of it is just you're supposed to take it at face value of what he was going through. And you're only supposed to take from it what you observe. And maybe some people do view it as a romanticized view of it. I personally don't think it was necessarily that. I think it's just supposed to make you watch the events unfold and get you thinking about what maybe Kurt Cobain was going through at the time in relation to his drug use, uh, the people that were around him how his relationships were, uh, just his mental state in general. Like, I don't know. To me, it felt 
similar in how Elephant was, and you're kind of su- just supposed to take the events at face value, but at the same time, you're just following this one figure, so you also can't help but follow this character and be interested in him and, like, are just curious as to where he's going, in a sense. I mean, yeah. I don't I don't think that they're... The events that happen here, aren't, I don't think, are taken at face value. One, the... He was by himself when he did it. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't he, and he did escape a uh, rehabilitation. Well, I want to say he escaped. I'm fairly certain I read that he scaled the wall at this like uh, expedite recovery center or something like that. He was in re- rehabilitation. Like they, he tried to kill himself a month before he actually did. Yeah, he it tried in, to overdose in Rome. Yeah, so, um, you know, from I think from what I read was he was by himself. Uh, when when he decided to do this, and that's why there's actually a big conspiracy theory on was he murdered or not. Uh, regardless, I think what I think what Van Sant's going through is just taking us and allowing us as the viewers to kind of uh, see what it's like, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. I don't really think I don't think I think it's just more of an intimate view at the the fragile mind of someone and someone so misunderstood. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It, I think it takes a little bit away with, with Blake versus Kurt and the fact that it is a different character and we're only supposed to associate rather than say definitively this is this person. So yes, um, you know it. I don't. It, it takes a little bit of way of maybe what was actually going on with Blake at that time. Or I'm just gonna keep calling him Kurt. Um, you know, and yeah, it's kind of odd. I mean, it's a uh, you know you f- I, it's tragic. I mean, it's you feel bad for the guy the whole time he's going through it, but at the same token, he doesn't feel like you can see that there's depression and you can see that he's in a bad mental state. Mm-hmm. You know, and you could t- definitely tell that he he doesn't relate to the world around him. But uh, the real Kurt Cobain was a little bit more angry, uh, and I think this takes this takes. <laughs> I mean, unless Van Sant's done heroin, maybe he has. I don't know. I think this definitely takes like this is what it would be like to be on heroin and just be kind of chill versus actually what was running through his mind. Yeah, I mean, he had he had ADHD and uh, bipolar. He had a bipolar disorder, so mm-hmm. I mean he had he, had, he was always in conflict yeah. with his mind. And didn't he have um, horrible stomach issues too? That he said that heroin use actually helped with. It's at least according to him. Well, and he did. And I was, I'm trying to think they, they said it was undiagnosed that he had, I can't remember exactly what it bronchitis. was. Bronchitis. Yeah. Severe bronchitis and something with his intestinal tract that, well, I mean, heroin's just like, it's just, I mean, it's like morphine, you know, I yeah. mean, that's all you're Essentially, just, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like you're just, I mean, it's going to relieve any sort of pain that you'd feel. So yeah, I mean, mm. You, he could probably lose a finger and take some heroin and not realize that his finger was gone. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's an interesting commonality between this movie and the other movies, not just in the way that they're filmed or like the subject matter, but the fact that Gus Van Sant takes real life situations or things that have actually happened to people and uses them in his films. So like Jerry is inspired by two guys who actually got lost in the canyons and couldn't find their way back home and then elephant obviously by the columbine school shooting and then this one obviously about kurt cobain and he changes the names he makes them slightly different but it's very clear where the inspiration is from Mm -hmm. it just it kind of makes that thread between watching a movie and knowing that something like this actually took place a lot more thin and it kind of i don't know it, it closes that barrier a little bit between something you're watching as 
fictional and entertainment versus something you're watching that is reality and you something that actually happened as um is he trying to um com- like contrast a little bit or uh I don't want to say make it ironic or satirical, but there's a definitely he. Do you think he's is it speaking on what we're watching as a viewer versus what's actually going on in the world? Maybe not necessarily that, but just just kind of not severing that line, but making that line a little more blurred in terms of what we view as being a fictional story versus what we know in real life has actually happened right. because you watch last days. Obviously it's about Kurt Cobain. Obviously it's about his suicide and his uh, drug use in the last day of his, days of his life. Um, but the movie changes the characters names. It makes some events different. It depicts certain people in a different light. So I don't know. It's an interesting through line to me where he chooses to put that line between reality and fiction. So I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily have anything to comment on it with per se. I just want to point out that I think that it's there at least. A hundred percent. I'm just curious as what Van Sant's trying to go for. Me too. And I guess me speaking out loud about my thoughts on this is me trying to figure out what exactly he's going for. That's what, and I don't, I, it's a very, it's an intimate look and maybe it's a guy, you know, as a director, you're always curious as to what is he trying to portray. And sometimes like with Kurt, you know, and I would say anyone that's really creative, it's more of a personal view. So I mean, like, does Van Sant struggle with death? I mean, if I see picking this, is it just hap- happenstance of how fragile life is? Mm-hmm. Do we look at kind of where we're at in the world? I mean, are we supposed to feel better about our lives, having watching what these people have gone through, or the events that unfold, trying to realize how you know lucky you can be as a person? I think the name Death Trilogy kind of hints at maybe we're supposed to view these movies as something that we remind ourselves of what's coming and what's inevitable. Like Mm -hmm. everyone's going to die. It just depends on how, when, or why, you know? Yeah. Like, but that's where I have an issue because it's like, all right, you're picking Kurt Cobain. People know Kurt Cobain. Well, that's take the Columbine events. People know Columbine. You know, I think it's an interesting look at what I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, why we're taking these events and portraying them as opposed to, well, that's an interesting thing that I'm, you know, like I said, I'm glad you brought it up because I was thinking about that too, how Jerry is very much a, in a, about an event, about two guys. They're not famous. You don't know who they are, but yeah, it happened to them and they died. Right. And then it takes Columbine where you know what happens and it's a very world like nationwide sort of event that everybody is aware of, but mm-hmm. you don't know who these people are still like if I asked you to name someone in the Columbine shooting outside of of Eric and Dylan or whoever those two shooter guys were, like you probably wouldn't be able to tell me. I know what Columbine is. I think that's more of the... Right. And then you take a movie like this, Last Days, and it's like, okay, not only was this a big event in a sense, Kurt Cobain dying, but people knew who Kurt Cobain was. Right. It almost feels like there's three different levels of how death impacts people on a grander scale you got something like jerry where that's a good point yeah you got something like jerry where it's like okay these guys died and it's tragic that it happened but it it's not really it happens every day people get 
that happens every day. Right. It's not really going to affect the greater population. Right. Whereas you take something like Columbine, it affects the greater population, but you don't know who these people are still. And then you take someone who's famous, one guy who's famous who kills himself, something that people do every day. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, people care about that on a deep level because they feel like they know who he well, was. Well, it's a human interest story. I mean, that's why it always gets boiled down if you can take, if you can find that one soul. You know, and mm-hmm. you can really you can expand on what they were going through because a lot of people you can't. As a person with Jerry, that event happens. I could place myself. I don't know those people, mm-hmm. and people die every day in the woods. Cocaine bear. Then you got <laughs> Columbine, right? Yes. You know, and it's like I feel I sympathize with the families, but once again, you're talking families, mm-hmm. plural. There's a lot that I only have enough empathy to go around. You know, like I, I can't. In each one, everyone is impacted differently. Now, if he did that third one on a mom with the student at Columbine that was killed and follow her and her last days, I think it would have the same effect. Here, but I don't know if it's necessarily now with this one, it is Kurt Cobain, but I think it's more so along the lines of us just being with a person going through it. And that's why it's easier for us to project as we watch this because yes. it is just us with Kurt. So it's almost, and it's not even us with him. We are doing the thinking for him because all he's doing is walking around. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so it's kind of where are we going to? I, and I, I mean, so we've talked, I mean, this is all, there's a lot of, Everyone, you know, still listen. All right. I mean, it's kind of, it's heavy subject matter, but yes. I think this is well done. Me too. Uh, and it's not, it is, it's not, it's melancholy, um, but it's not as deep and dark. It's not misery porn like Blonde is, you know? Well, that's, I don't know if I'd, I'd go that route because that one's way more <laughs> upbeat than this thing. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, like, literally, it's, it's not, not outright telling you, hey, you should be depressed about right. the things you're watching. I mean, you are going, what? Well, yes, yes. I, I think this is a film. <laughs> I guess I'm saying that. This isn't 97 minutes <laughs> like, of us to sit around and with. Blonde isn't. <laughs> wow, that, that was just shit. I mean, <laughs> this isn't wrong. like, well, you know, it's 97 minutes. It's like in the first probably 30 minutes, I mean, literally he gets naked in a river and then he goes around his house, walking around the house. I mean, that takes all of 25, 30 minutes. We haven't heard. The only dialogue we've heard is him singing Home on the home, Front. Home, home on the range. Yeah. Where the deer and the antelope play. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that's it. So it's kind of like, all right, what are we doing? But then there's some unique edits and it's kind of, you know, it's 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 interesting that, that where the where the director takes us and where it's going and kind of how it overlaps or fits into what yeah. where we're at because we see different perspectives but it always comes back to Blake. There's a lot of really cool technical stuff that goes on in this movie that helped get me invested in what was going on, mm-hmm. like the scene where it's just that one shot that's on the window. It's like very slowly zooming out, the track, the, yeah, but it's on the window and it's. It's Michael Pitt going through making this song and looping it with all these different instruments. And it kind of like cacophonies into something that mm-hmm. almost becomes a song. And I'm like, wow, this is really fucking interesting and cool. Like, I really like what this movie is doing. Yeah. And then it would do things where it follows Michael Pitt walking and then it just stops but Michael Pitt keeps walking and it's just on this bush for like 15 solid seconds. And it's like, I don't know how I feel about this necessarily. Like that's a nice looking bush. It's cool. I like the vibe of it, but do I really need 15 seconds of looking at this bush? I get it that it kind of 
adds to the atmosphere and the sort of melancholy of it and but the maybe, sort of dissonance that the movie wants me to have with it. But I don't know. There's just a right. few things about it that I was like, all right, we can kind of let's let's get going here. Uh, let's move were, on. There were a couple points of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Hundred percent. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. To me, it was more so Gus Van Sant getting a little carried away with it. Like, oh, let's look at this bush. I want to look at this bush, and I want to get real close with this bush and intimate with it. Well, it's such because a... it it was passed by with with Blake's presence, and so how has the bush been impacted? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There was just a few things like that that I was very, I don't know. I was struggling to kind of see the purpose in and the sort of through line with it but i think you have to do a couple things when it's like hey you know blake we're gonna give you six lines of dialogue through this 97 minute film yeah and there's only gonna be probably five minutes total worth of speaking time well actually the monologue was a good seven minutes so Mm -hmm. or whatever it was yeah um so i think i with anything that's kind of surrealism or i mean somewhat think of dissonance yeah um you know with i at least that's what i got out of it anyway yeah and I, i i I just think that you have to have points of that. Mm-hmm. You just take a shot. I don't really... It's artsy. Hey, it's a little artsy. Yeah, there were some things in this movie that were reminding me of um, uh, At Eternity's Gate quite a bit. Just certain things that were s- supposed to garner from shots of nature or shots of different things happening that are taking their time and going on for quite a long time, almost too long of a time. And... Just some decisions that feel like they're, I don't want to say pretentious, but like you said, it's artsy stuff. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, I think there's a little bit more thinking that the director wants out of some of the stuff, and they take that shot and they say, all right, I mean, let's just, if they're really, if they're really thinking and they're walking through his shoes, let's have him go and we'll just leave the camera, we'll linger it on here and let's, you know, we'll have the audience kind of infer what they want to infer, whether it's where's Blake going or what's it all mean or look at, you know, Let's just have it sit here. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure he could fucking tell you the whole thing. Like, he had a whole idea about what it was supposed to represent, what he wanted to do. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of like you flip a coin. Either it works or it doesn't. Yeah. You know? It's I mean, whatever you get out of it, you know? What, yeah. However you interpret when you view it. You know, it's very much of the viewer's eyes. So, yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, What did you think of Michael Pitt and his performance he was out i mean i mean part of the reason why i picked this movie is because we watched funny games right i well, wanted you, to see on your michael pitt train. I, was, I was on the michael pitt train i, um, like, I want to see more of this guy he he was i mean <laughs> he didn't do it wasn't good it was fine i mean he was good i mean like I, i'm trying to I like, think he did the part of what the director wanted him to <laughs> like, do that's what i'm it's hey you're de- you're a failing like you literally could have walked up to make you're a failing fucking actor and you are losing everything no one wants you go <laughs> like that's it uh, yeah uh, uh, I mean now he played depression okay. really well you know and he's I think he sold it and I was I mean every everything he was doing but the thing I think there's a certain aura around Kurt Cobain and I think most people and honestly, I mean, most people, if you watch the scene, you probably think that's that's how he was, too. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's definitely, I will say, so I watched it last night. I was like, wow, like, okay. And then I watched the documentary today, and I'm like, all right. Like, he, I mean, he, Kurt had more going on than that. I mean, they kind of did him a disservice. And I guess that's my question, too. Do you think some people might view this movie and 
see that portrayal of a character that's basically Kurt Cobain and think of it as too caricature or too surface level. Like, man, I wanted this movie to like really go into Kurt's personality and it, they, they did him dirty. It depends on how... It just depends on how big of a Kurt Cobain fan you are. I will say mm-hmm. um, people that probably listen to his music would watch him on VH1. Would you know they, they the, People talk about Kurt Cobain as sort of like a genius surrounding him or whatever. I think really what he did is he took his own feelings um, and how he felt in this world and got it out through music and a lot of people could relate through some of the messages that he was sending but only kurt really knew what he was expressing Mm -hmm. and i think he tapped into a lot of people that didn't know how to express themselves the way that they felt because if you're not you know the all-american quarterback sometimes you you know it's like well i i don't meet that standard but at the same token i'm not i don't know how to say i'm anything less than that because that's failure on my end you know right he was able to say i'm a i mean he literally grunges about just be having a disposable body i mean he's a vessel in this world and he, it wasn't he didn't want to be a part of it you mm-hmm. know and that's what made him so tragic so like before i had watched that documentary yeah, I, I'm I'm fairly certain I would be with the masses in that, saying like that's probably what it's like to be you know manically depressed, high on heroin. I mean, God knows what else is running through his system, and just being misunderstood, right? Yeah. So you watch the documentary though, and you kind of realize, all right, he, yeah, he was like that, but I mean, he had more going on. They, they he could he couldn't just sit around. Mm-hmm. And which is like a lot of this film is just him kind of just draw. Like, I don't think he would have been able to do that. He'd have to be doing, I and mean, I'm, I'm going off of watching two hours or something today, but I, it just f- feels like he had more going on than how they were portraying him. And that's why I think it feels more in the illusion of yeah. leading up through the last days versus, and maybe it's good that they called him Blake and it's just a loose interpretation of what Kurt did. You know, yeah. so you, you don't have to get as mad about it. <laughs> yeah, that line of fiction still being there, even as blurred as it is, kind of acting as a gateway of like, hey, you can't get too mad at me because it's not Kurt. Right. It's, it's Blake. Exactly. Yeah. You the know, ba- it's not Nirvana. It's Norvina or whatever <laughs> the fucking band name they picked I didn't for this even, was. I, I don't think they said it. I don't think so either. I think it was just the band members that were there. Yeah. Which I didn't know. Were I, those two guys supposed to be Dave Grohl and um, I don't, the other guy? I don't think so, because they, didn't they have a sex scene? They did, but I mean, they kind of looked a little bit like them. That's The okay. Dave Grohl guy, especially. I'm The one that was sitting down and just like, uh, he was the one that was singing um, Venus and Furs. Yeah, yeah, him. Yeah. Scotty, or whatever so his name it's was. It's really funny. I'm watching that documentary today. Now, there are a couple things that pop up in this film, and we'll... We, we're good. Oh on time. yeah, we're wow. We're we're breezing through it. Yeah, I guess cocaine. Bear. <laughs> Little white. Uh, That's okay. We had a nearly three-hour episode last time. Yeah. So yeah. No. If we good. go under two, I'm well, not worried about and it. And this one too. I'm like, plus this, we still got questions. So. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I'm watching. Uh, <laughs> that sex scene came out of nowhere. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes, like it, it was kind of like. Okay. Well, like, to me, I was I was watching it, maybe trying to justify why they included it. Like, okay, maybe they're trying to show the hedonism of a rock star lifestyle and what it means to not give a fuck about who or what you're fucking. And it's like, okay, but you didn't have to 
you didn't have to show it so intimately and like make it the make it almost like they were in love with each other. So half the so what I what the but you learn a little bit about the grunge music and I didn't really realize why it was called grunge, you mm. know, but I mean from there's a certain ethos that surrounds punk rock with sexuality, right? And that ability to not express yourself uh, in, in terms or in ways in which you'd like to. And we'll talk about that because he does, he puts on a dress and there's a whole thing about. Yeah. Kurt said that he liked putting dresses on. Yeah. And, uh, and there were other things too. Yeah. So, I mean, that, and that's why, you know, Venus and Furs is a song about BDSM. And that's why I think they incorporated it in here. And the whole, the ethos behind grunge is. I, I am disposable. I'm not worthy, and a lot of how I feel means nothing to anyone, mm-hmm. you know? So I think they had that kind of tied in there just to drive across the point a little bit about, you know, maybe some of what the genre, the, yeah, the genre kind of um, stood for. Yeah, a little bit, you know? So, I mean, that's, and it's kind of, but I felt bad for David Grohl and. <laughs> Oh, God, what's the other guy's name? Novellus or... Novojack or whatever. Novojack, yeah. His name was. I forget his first name. I'm talking about in real life. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. So that scene happens, and it's like, well, this kind of just doesn't seem, you know, good. Stood up for anything, you know? Yeah. Well, here's... I have two other thoughts on it, too, that it could possibly be linked to. Sure. So... There's a very similar scene in Elephant, and I was reading up a little bit about Gus Van Sant before I watched this movie, and he's a very prolific um, portrayal of gay characters kind of director. I think he directed Milk with Sean Penn. Really? No. I think he did. I'll look it up while you go on. All right. Yeah, you verify. But there's a very similar scene in Elephant where there's two characters, and all of a sudden they just start kissing, and they're both... They're both like dudes, essentially. And it's like, okay, this was kind of out of nowhere. I wonder what he's trying to say with this. Yeah. If we're supposed to gather that these characters are still human, even though they're very, they're being portrayed in a very distant, almost inhuman way. The second thing that I had with it is uh, going back to actual Kurt Cobain and his life and how in school he was made fun of because he was friends with a kid who was gay. And he always liked to think of other kids thinking of him as gay because they left him alone. He always commented that, yeah, sometimes I wish I was gay just so people would not bother me, you know? Yeah. So I'm wondering if, like, which angle is this scene coming from and why did he include it in I think part it's up, of this movie? I would say it's up for, because I, I think it's up for an opinion. And I think there's, we've already expressed four different possible things it could be right you know i don't know the other one i have too is there's a lot of with uh like repressed it's like sexuality or your repressed sexual um orientation or or um um your urgent your uh desires your oh oh you know um, once you get those that that craving to do something right you're that yeah. repression of it mm-hmm. right drive it it leads to worse libido and, Huh? Libido? No, that's the drive to have. I'm talking about a your, mosquito. Like, my it, libido. Yeah. I could. Well, anyways, <laughs> I don't know if that had to play a part in it, too, if they were trying to show, you know, a little bit of, of, of w- this is where it's led to, you know? 
I don't know. I mean, it, it was kind of it felt like out of left field. I'll just say that. Yes, like, I I agree with that's you. That's the biggest takeaway, and that well, and the other one is David Grohl and the other guy because like they have to be watching that film if they ever saw it and went like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Because it's not, it's not vague, I don't think, about who those characters are supposed to be. Like, the guy who plays Scotty definitely was meant to be like, hey, you're Dave Grohl, but you're not Dave Grohl. But, I mean, you're Dave Grohl. Right. Like, let's not beat around the bush. 15-second pause. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, the bush was meant to be an innuendo, but also not. Oh, oh that bush. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh-huh. The band, because <laughs> it's about music. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that was out of left field. And then there was another aspect of this movie I wanted to talk about, too, which was the sort of commentary that it was making about the people around Blake's life. Yeah. Almost viewing what he's going through I didn't... in a very selfish lens and only being concerned about what what they're going through. Like, oh... Blake's on another bender again like he's escaped rehab essentially we're gonna go and make sure that he gets back and we're gonna hire a private detective which I guess in real life Courtney Love hired a PI in order to find Kurt Cobain but uh, this movie makes it feel like the characters in this person's life only care about him in terms of what he can bring them or like what sort of monetary value they can get out of him. Like, Oh, we need you to go back on tour. We need you to get better so you can perform music again. Or, Hey man, can you help me with this song I've been working on? I can see you're clearly going through a lot of shit right now, but I want to talk to you about my issues. It's like, I don't know. It's an interesting decision that the movie makes. And I don't know how true to life that is with, Kurt Cobain I, and like the people around well, him. Well, here's the thing that you got. This is, and this will only be for people that were a part of the situation. Because I, I mean, and I'm sure you could probably do some reading, but at this point, I mean, it's, I don't know if anyone's going to be real genuine about how things were going. But I mean, the guy was struggling, and I mean, look what happened. And it's like, at the same token, how many times can you try to help someone before you just realize that they don't want to be helped? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a, it's his decision and what he chooses to do. So, um, as opposed, like in, in terms of real life stuff, I don't know. The one guy that I watched today, I mean, he was talking about it, and he said, "Yeah, I mean, I guess all the signs were there." And it's like, how long did it take to see those signs? <laughs> right? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, you know. Um, so and what they were doing today, I think they were trying to. I think they were trying to show how isolated he was because it was a. Fu- it's kind of funny. Um. You have people that aren't a part of the compound of the mansion searching for them, and then the people inside the mansion want to leave them. Mm-hmm. You know, they want it; they're not really interested in what he's doing. Yeah. So he's living in this sort of isolation chamber, two of his own mind, because he, he, the people out there that are trying to find him, he's escaping, and the ones that he's surrounded by, what don't want to be a part of him. Right. Exactly. You know. So I mean, as to how true it was, I don't know. I mean, the dude. You ADHD, manic depressed, or bipolar. Like, yeah, you're you're on, and you don't really give a shit about. Yeah, it's interesting the stands that he would take is what I guess I'd be thinking mm-hmm. about too. I mean, it's very, very um, counterculture. What did he say? That what's a? He's got a song about aliens. 
He's saying, he says, you know, I wish I were an alien, then I could see the world, and I wouldn't have to see the world through this opinionated lens. You know, the, our culture is all formed by opinions, mm-hmm. opinions of what you should do, opinion. You know, and so he had a really hard time with just accepting people in society, just people in general. Thought everyone was phony. Yeah. I don't know. Just like, regardless, too, of Kurt Cobain as a real person, it was interesting that that was a huge aspect of the movie that whole isolation and how separated he felt from everybody. It's very true, though. And that contributing to his suicide in a way. Because, like, that final scene. Uh, not final scene, but one of the very last scenes of the movie where they all get in the car and the one guy just kind of stops and sees that he's in the greenhouse and he just kind of looks at him for a second and, like, you know he's not going to go over there and help him. You know that he's not going to, like, try to save him or anything and he just slowly goes back in the car. But that's the closest in the movie that you get, I think, to any person in that film kind of genuinely showing feelings towards him even if he himself can't see it yeah well i don't the other guy that was searching for him that he's running from exactly like that's the one that i'm like it's yeah and you you can tell that that guy's not being genuine because he's got a private investigator with him like if he cared about him he probably wouldn't have him with him well and i think that's kind of what the movie's goal i don't know so that's where i get into a lot of like there's artsy to me and then there's real life you know yes and I go, yeah, the guy is a private investigator, but obviously the, they can't do anything. This is how I would view it. If they're like, imagine there's an EMT guy in the car instead of a private investigator, right? Mm-hmm. Does that all of a sudden change the help that he's getting, Kurt? Do we still think that the guy cares less about him or is indifferent about him just because it's a different job title? Like that's where, like to me, those lines get a little blurry, if you will, in terms of what's actually the motivation of the person next to him just because the associate or the the title of the person over here suggests that this guy doesn't care he's just trying to get but to me it's like obviously he isn't he no one can help him so you need to bring in someone now maybe if Dwayne the Rock Johnson's sitting there is it any different Mm -hmm. if it's like man Dwayne could I have to use him to help him now like I it's out of my control so that's where I Everyone was given. I mean, that guy got shit, and he said, "You know, I'm fake. I'm a phony. People, you know, the guys don't like me." Forgot exactly what was said about him because I think that he got brought up a couple times, and everyone's like, "Man, what a fucking asshole!" Yeah, they were like driving by him, and they were like, "Fucking douchebag," or like something. Yeah, and I'm like, dickhead. And I, and I, it's like, I know there's a private investigator, but and so the other aspect of it too is when you know it's for Courtney Love, it's like, what was her interest out of this? Why does she hire a private investigator? You know, but like of the time, I'm just like, oh, this whatever he can do to get Kurt out of here. Mm -hmm. Because at some point, you're going to have to be the bad guy. Like, you're going to have to call a detective or you're going to have to call a cop or you're going to have to bring in, you know, a therapist. Like, at some point, and that's just where it's an interesting thing for me is like, well, at what point as people, if we see a friend and a friend in need that chooses to neglect or refrain from our help, at what point do we just say, all right, I can't help you. You've made that choice on your own that you don't want my help, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that it, that to me was what was more interesting of what was going on. And that's why I have a hard time sometimes watching this. Cause it's like, he's obviously made the choice of I'm ending this mm-hmm. and everyone around him. It's like, do you see it or not? That's the question that I have. Yeah. I think you could easily view it in both ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I don't know. That's where I kind of like this movie a lot is you could view it in, both of those lenses and still be right 
you know? You never know. I mean, it's, it's Kurt Cobain about to kill himself. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? There's so many different lenses you could view this movie as, you know? I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah, there are. Um, yeah, I don't know. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about this movie with? Anything that we didn't bring up that no. we wanted to discuss? I don't think so. I mean, it's... I. I thought it was well shot, and I thought, I mean, I, th- I really liked the camera work and some of the the um, the, ab- the atmosphere in it. And mm-hmm. you know, it's a very outside of knowing where it's going. I think the one thing that helps with it too is knowing the ending. Like if this was a ending I didn't know about, I think it could be a little more, more jarring. Yeah, you know. And I don't want to say it's a romance. I I I don't think it's really a romanticism. I think it's more of an intimate view of mm. what it would have been like to be surrounding. Put him. Put yourself in his shoes. And yeah. I think I think it is appropriate with the friends being there. And um. You know it. Add something it, to think about. Well, and that's another I, dynamic. I to think it. it. Yes, I and I think it helps add on to that isolation that he was feeling. Exactly. I. That's where I. And you know, I think that's the hardest thing that you probably could have to try to explain or to get someone to feel is they sold over what five hundred million copies of all their music. Yeah, they had fans everywhere. Like, it's hard to say you're gonna feel alone when you go home at night and like someone be like you you are mm-hmm. like you're nirvana yeah you're kurt cobain how are how do you feel alone mm-hmm. dude you could pick up a phone and random dial someone and have a conversation you know yeah and i think that's where it was it's really hard and that's why you get a little bit more of an intimate look and you get a feel more of a feeling of how what he's going through in these moments you know so i and that's about it. I mean, that's and that. Other than that, I mean, it's ninety-seven minutes of just kind of going through this this uh, decay with them. Yeah, they're um, yeah. No, th- just before I watched the movie, I had only heard a few Nirvana songs, mm-hmm. and I, I I like a few of them, like the yeah. uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit," uh, "Come As You Are," uh, "Something in the Way," obviously popularized by the Batman. That's a, okay. incredibly yeah um yeah no I don't I don't hate their music it's not something that I don't I think I would like throw on every single day and listen to but you know there's there's some people out there that really don't like Nirvana or like the grunge type if you ask my dad about it he has a very negative opinion of that whole music genre can't get into it but yeah I don't know like this movie just got me thinking about like my experience with Nirvana and how much about Kurt Cobain do I know and do I want to learn about? Yeah, and I so I, same thing. I mean, what, well, you can't help yourself, right? I mean, it's just there's this thing. So we we were kind of talking about, and I'm sure you know. I mean, depending on your age range, listen to this. I mean, it, he was polarizing. He started up a whole genre of music that people either liked or didn't like. But this was before you had social media, and he couldn't go onto Twitter and take a selfie or throw up. You know a little six second video of the plane ride and the snow and the plane, you know, like you're talking about, I mean, he's just going off journalism and and you're talking about a guy that really didn't know how to handle anyone, (laughs) any person whatsoever. I mean, like, like even himself, Mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, it's growing up 
you knew the you knew the name Kurt Cobain and you knew Nirvana. You just didn't know anything about him. I mean, just he killed himself. That was it. Literally, like if you said Kurt Cobain, it's like, oh yeah, he killed himself. It's like, yep. Mm-hmm. And it was maybe a trivia question if you knew where he did it at. You know, I mean, that was about it. So today, going through some of the things that I saw with him, I mean, he he's just a it's a it's a he's very polarizing and it's a tragic study of uh you know. A, a human on this earth like yes very much so oh my god couldn't be you know just insane and it's so crazy that you got a guy that could start up just create a genre of music just out of the i mean and granted he pulled some stuff i mean he had influences outside him so right. they didn't really get into the music that he listened to as a kid you know i mean it's more so of just kind of how he came about but there there are some things i learned today that i didn't i you feel like you'd seen a Harmony Corinne movie. I'll say that. <laughs> what was the documentary called? It's uh, it's Kurt Cobain, the montage of heck, and, and it was on HBO. Yeah, it's on HBO Max, and it's a uh, it there's there's uh, not found footage, but you know there's obviously um, personal, video footage. Yeah, video footage. They go. They have a lot of his recordings, a lot of his drawings, notebooks. I mean, like just any any source material they could get, and then they do some decent uh, animation with it. And you, you learn kind of how they how it grew up, you know, how the genesis of Nirvana, how it got started, how it got started with him, what he was going through, and then you, know, you get to you walk the line, life with him a little bit and his fame and some of his relationships and. Yeah, yeah. The guy was tormented. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, that is that is one thing that the movie definitely portrays is the torment that he went through. Um, okay, uh, I guess we can go into ratings for this. Yeah, uh, this is a solid seven out of ten for me. Nice, probably closer to an eight than a six. Um, yeah, if I ever watch this again, I mean, who knows where my rating will go? But this is probably one that I'm gonna have to let sit for a while just kind of think about the subject matter just what i watched exactly how i feel about it but overall i really liked it so there you have that yeah what about you i did i got a seven out of ten too i mean this is pretty much just a solid seven out of ten mm-hmm. um yeah it's interesting it's a different lens on a uh uh <laughs> i mean depressing subject matter but one that i mean we have to go through in life and it's interesting to see someone that, I mean, Kurt Cobain and just kind of seeing where, where he's at mentally. And it's, I, I, you know, what's funny too is like you kind of watch it. And I think in one aspect, it's like, it's like super depressing and melancholy. But on the other aspect, it's kind of like it's interesting to know now a little bit more about who he was and what he was going through and just seeing just that unfold, you mm-hmm. know. And it's, it's almost like it's kind of like, uh, you know, like you got a dying dog, you know, yeah. it's like at some point this is going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, but I think at the other aspect of it too, I haven't said, it's like, man, I wish you, I wish you, I don't know if you would have been the same if he gets healthy though, you know, who knows? Maybe that music goes away and maybe he's not Kurt Cobain anymore. Just some fat guy that's 50 and yeah, you know, there was something that I read uh, that was interesting before we kind of wrap this up where it was like after he died. And one of his musical idols that he looked up to, I think his name was Sage Green or something like that. And he was commenting about like kind of just going over the possibility of reasons why Kurt Cobain might have killed himself. 
and he commented on how one of those possibilities could have been just the fact that when it comes to music and entertainment, especially once you become so famous with it, you can't, there's no real way to escape it. There's no real way to get out of it. Even if you do manage to leave, there's always going to be people that are going to hound you about making more music. There's always going to be people hounding you about going on tour. And he just kind of commented on how Kurt Cobain couldn't see himself giving up the lifestyle of music, whether he wanted to or not. And it kind of links to what he included in his suicide note where he says it's better to burn out than to fade away. And I thought that was an interesting notion that I just kind of wanted to touch on before before we wrap that up. I don't know, man. I, you're asking heavy subject matter. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm just, I don't, I can't get into the mind. I mean, like, I'm telling. Watch the montage of hack. Like I'm. I'll probably check it out. I'm yeah. telling you, you guys, you guys watch. You're gonna, you learn about you know his adolescence and what he's going through and when he got into high school and he was smoking pot. By the time he was like 12 or 13, he tried to kill himself at 15. He took took cinder blocks, laid on the train track, put it on his legs and his chest so the train would run over him so he couldn't escape it. Turns out the train went down a different track. So he was like, oh, well, that he goes, that was my kind of like, I need to not kill myself now, you know? So that kept him. But there's another thing with this girl and his friends at this, and that's all creepy and weird. And then he gets a girlfriend, and then he's doing heroin by the time he's probably like 18, you know? So, I mean, it's he, some of it played into it. I think the music was the escape, but I also think, I don't think he really gave a shit about, he liked playing the music for people, mm-hmm. you know, but I also think it was his release into the world. And I mean, at some point I don't, it's before social media. So, I mean, you got, you got, you got paparazzi and what the, the journalists, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe he couldn't escape that. He hated them, but he also, he, he hated being humiliated. Very fragile, 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 fragile ego that ego that you're mixing in a lot of fucking drugs with, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's it it's just his mind was so, he was so mentally ill yeah that he poisoned himself i mean that's all that that was so i mean however you want to look at it and he so he had a daughter you know yeah Loved, francis dude watch there's there's they have all these home videos about him and you think he's gonna make the turn you know i mean mm-hmm. you just can't with everything that was going on and what they did, even with her in the womb, I mean, you just think he's going to make the turn. I mean, but he, he just was so mentally sick, and there wasn't anyone there that could offer any sort of help to him or help that he wanted to seek. But, Very I mean, helpless feeling. He was he he had already dude. The genesis of that started. I mean, by the time he was eight, you know, by the time he's thirteen, I mean, like you're already dealing with a full grown tree in your brain about this. Like it's not you don't just take an axe and chop that down. Yeah, you know. So I mean. I, there's a lot of speculation on why the guy did it. He had already tried to do it when he was 15. You know, he tried to do it in Rome. Courtney Love takes credit for that. She said because he had the thought that uh, and she's psychotic, by the way, too. I don't know if I can, you know, I guess that's like a no do like a no brainer thing. But yeah. uh, uh, she she blames herself, saying that Kurt had the she was going to cheat on it on him, and and Kurt didn't even know, but thought that she he she would cheat on him and that's why he did it i mean i think at the end of the day the dude was so if he attached to any one thing and that thing got severed he might have even thought of his daughter and be like 
if I don't raise her right and she ends up hating me, what's the point of all this? You yeah. know? I mean, the dude was just really mentally sick. So, I mean, like, mm-hmm. to, to speculate anything, I think it's kind of unfair, you know? I, I don't think it really... To me, there isn't one thing that attaches to it. I think you just got a guy that... I mean, you're talking one out of a billion odds of Nirvana getting to where they're at. Yeah. And just to think about all the energy and the passion that you'd have to have as a person to carry that on to, like, revolutionize... Um, you know uh music and have different you know uh uh people coming to see you in concert like you know you got to get lucky with it but at the same token nick you got to be passionate and good and you know different so i'd be curious i'll probably check out that documentary excuse me it's good get emotional (laughs) (laughs) it's good i the guy i felt bad for him but Mm. it's one of those things too you hear about some of the things that happen and you go good god like yeah yeah, so well. Uh speaking of depressing, we got some questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good segue right yeah, there. Yeah, there we go. All right. Uh so thank you guys for submitting your questions. These are older questions that we got a few episodes ago that I'm just now getting to that we couldn't get to before because we didn't have time, but now we do have the time. So uh our first question comes from Megan. She asks, when I was young, we used to bring a portable DVD player on road trips to visit family. Now I mostly travel by plane and download movies from Netflix to my iPad. Do you have any favorite travel movies? Favorite travel movies, McLean? Mm, Liar, Liar, The Waterboy, Independence Day. Oh, you had those at the ready. Well, no, I'm just, I don't really travel all that much, but my mom, uh, we had a 2000 three 2005 ford windstar mm-hmm. and there was a vhs player in it so anytime I, I took the van i would instead of listening to music i would put in a i there was those were the three movies that we had in the car yeah or no sorry awesome powers in the spy shack not independence day ah important and, distinction yes uh the second one not the first one so i would put one of those films in and i could i could fast forward it to uh, if i knew it was going to be a 20 minute drive i would fast forward it to a certain part i could listen for 20 minutes so mm-hmm. uh that would probably be like as of now like if i had to like if it was like you gotta you know pick something out right now that'd probably be it yeah. you know depending on the trip though i mean if you're going for three hours or something like that i might grab lord of the rings yeah, make it a journey yeah. on the journey. Yeah. Um, when my parents and I traveled, I'd never really watched movies because we didn't have a portable DVD player. We didn't have a setup in the back of the car or anything. And for the most part, I just had my Game Boy with me. So I just played on my Game Boy Advance, just played some Super Mario on the way to Are you going to turn this into like not a travel movie, but a travel game and your travel game Super Mario? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that will be my travel game, yes. But uh, as I've gotten older, uh, I've only gone on planes a couple of times. So the first time I was on a plane, I watched the first Matrix movie. Cool. And it wasn't the first time I'd seen it. I'd already watched it. So it wasn't like that was my first viewing of the Matrix, thankfully. But, right. you know, just because it was on, it was available, I wanted to watch it again. So I was like, okay, this will help pass the time, especially mm-hmm. since it'll be like my first plane ride. Uh, second and third time, it was the same trip, uh, with Megan to New York and we watched, uh, the hunger games, Mockingjay part one on the way there. And then part two on the way back. 
and Mac is shaking his head because he is very disappointed in me, but I got those films done and out of the way, so <laughs> there you go. Um, All right, so Kyle answered. So remember, audience, I said Liar, Liar, Waterboy, Austin Powers, and Spider-Man Shag me. Kyle said Hunger Games Part 1 and 2. Well, that's my point, is I don't have a favorite. Cause Sounds I, like it's like, by default your favorite. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's why, you know, you go down that route. I outed myself. <laughs> this there is, it is. This is what I have become. Get the graphic going. Yeah. Um, our next question comes from Melanie. She asks... What are some of your top movies that have impacted our society? Movies that have impacted our society. First of all, is there even such a thing? Have movies impacted our society right, in such Kurt. a great way? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm guessing like we're talking about like classics here. Like, what are your like? Probably. Maybe chain. I don't know. Uh, Goodfellas. Yeah, or I guess yeah. By extension, The Godfather. Godfather yes. was pretty influential. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Influence society. I'm trying to think of something that's kind of came that was a I big mean, deal, you know? Citizen Kane, everybody references that as, like, one of the first movies to introduce a narrative structure. So, yeah, there's, there's Mac's opinion on that. <laughs> I guess I'm changing my recommendation for next time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I it's hard to think about a movie's impact on society. I mean, you look at a movie like Avatar, and it's the highest grossing movie of all time. But how much of an impact on the greater Avatar, society no, has that like, had? I would say, as an encapsulation, Endgame or Infinity War, kind of like a view of the culture type of thing. I mean, we're yeah, yeah. See, that's where you get. I mean, culture is such a grandiose thing, though. Yeah, exactly. It's very hard to pinpoint like an Elvis. exact point. Yeah, yeah. Like Elvis was revolutionary on society. Kurt Cobain. You, you're talking the movie, right, with Boz Lerman? Jesus Christ, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in terms of giving me stomach pain. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, there's yeah, like you you were hinting at there there's musicians that are i feel like more influential on that sort of thing than maybe a movie is or like a tv show there's definitely cultural significance that movies have but i don't know how well that correlates with having an impact on society you know yeah what's change what may does it really change us right yeah i don't know i think it's a little harder expression why yeah expressionism through film in terms of like because i don't i don't think there's been a movie that's come out that's changed like a system of government or the way we do economics or like well, the housing that, market or anything and higher concepts here. i mean i'm trying to think about maybe how kids dressed or you know language or maybe it, it do you think greece had an impact or was that just more of a portrayal of the culture I, I have a hard time. I'm trying to think of something like recently or at least, I mean, you know, like if you talk about um, Scorsese and uh, Ford Coppola and all those guys, maybe the way that it is shot and being like on location or, or some of the different camera techniques, you know, or the way that we, we, we viewed film and we operated the camera and the different viewpoints we could get and how we would express it. Yeah. Like you could kind of talk like in the seventies. So I'm trying to think like that, 
maybe impacts film more than society. So, like, I mean, I don't know what has kind of come out. Cause like, like Stanley Kubrick, essentially. Yeah, but, you know, like, so, like, music comes out, and it, it that'll change your mood, mm-hmm. you know? And that is all of four minutes. And there's a lot of, you know, I mean, like, 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 like we were talking about with grunge, you know? A lot of people could relate, and they felt that they were being um, talked to. You know, with that style of music going on, that they were they could express themselves now. You know, I mean, like, you don't have that with a film. Like, you can't, you don't just grab a film and throw it on and say, "Everyone, I want you to watch this," and this is how I live my life. Yeah, and you're watching Taxi Driver. (laughs) Yeah, and you're like two and a half hours of sitting down, and people are like, "Oh wow, okay, you're fucking nuts." (laughs) Like, I mean, there are. I think like when you like honestly like you take last days with Van Sant, I think it's a little bit more of an intimate and a deeper look at life and how fragile it is and what you know kind of like what it could be or being you know however you want to view it and that will impact you at a micro level. It's very personal level, yes. Yes, and I think that's usually how films go is that you sometimes with the structure, like if you're talking about influencing society, I mean, you can go back into the 40s with the war propaganda and the five with the five uh, the directors that were um, uh, influential with war propaganda and getting people out and going to, to serve the country, mm-hmm. you know, and being on the battlegrounds. Like it's I think it's just a little tougher. So, I mean, in a long way, I don't have an answer. I can't really think of anything right now, and I'm sure, you know, we'll come through and someone will say something. I'll probably be like, oh, that makes sense. I just, you know, I'm thinking on a huge scale right now. It's kind of hard just rifling through my head what would, you yeah. know. Uh, I think uh, my answer would be uh, Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Wow. That's my well, top Well, hey, we did talk about it today, and you <laughs> see what's going on with The Rock Johnson. But just wait. What if he gets out of film because of this? Oh, yeah. There's a huge cultural shift against The Rock after yeah. this whole thing unfolds. Oh, man. That would have a big impact on society in a way, maybe. I don't know. How they view <laughs> a certain person. Cancel culture in a way. Um, cool. Our next uh, last set of questions comes from Mike. His first question is, uh, well, first he says, long-time listener, first-time caller. So thank you for that. Uh, What's your favorite movie that has literally the worst casting? Who would you have cast instead? I think we got a very similar question not too long ago. But I don't know. We can still... We can still talk about it. Yeah, there. Are, yeah, do you have one? I had I, an I answer have, to this. I have kind of an answer. Okay, it's not a good movie, but I can't believe Mark Wahlberg as a science teacher in The Happening. Like it just doesn't make, like it doesn't oh, make any sense to me. He said one of your favorite movies, though, right? Doesn't he say like? Oh, he does. Yeah. I mean, I say, that one is kind of a favorite in a way. <laughs> I liked it in all the ways I M. Night just let you didn't go. want me to. So we have Kyle admitting to what Hunger Games is his go-to movie on travel flights and Happening's one of his favorite Can films. I sue you for entrapment even though you're not a cop? <laughs> Can I do that? <laughs> is that something that's Mike possible? I go on here. I'm just saying. He, I read this and it was like, it was favorite It's this is why it's a hard one for me because well usually so, a favorite movie it's like it, they already have good casting right yeah that's where so i you know mike i'm not gonna lie i i don't my favorite films are usually character driven it's not necessarily like what's uh going on in the film more so about how the characters are reacting in the film mm-hmm. so i have a hard time like i was trying to think i had it too where i was like oh man like that would have 
it would have elevated the film for me. I just I cannot for the life of me think of what the movie was. I had it ready to go a month ago. Yeah. Uh, it's a little boy. That's two questions in a row where we just don't give a fucking film. Way to go, guys. <laughs> well, it, like you said, it's hard to think of a answer for this, especially in terms of favorite movie. Because you have a favorite movie, you like almost every aspect of it, and therefore you like the casting of it. Like, there's not much you would change about it to make it better because you already think it's as good as it can possibly be in a lot of different ways. Yeah. I'm going to look on my letterbox. Maybe maybe that'll tell me something. Well, see, that's what I was just trying to think of. It's like, I, I the movie that I had picked out, too, I was like, oh, that would have been, yeah, that that it would have worked. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm going to scroll through my favorites just to see if anything, anything pops up at all. Yeah, invigorating dialogue, encapsulating, however you want to talk about it. I mean, none of these things are, God bless it. It was it was a movie too where I was like probably actually would have got a full star higher. Here's maybe something. Well, well I mean, you know, it. Why don't you just put a stamp on it? Just say it is. Well, we can give Mike an answer. There's okay. So in American History X, there's a scene where you're <laughs> supposed in a shower. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> um, but no, there's a scene where there's Edward Norton's character, but you're supposed to view him as younger. And mm. it's kind of hard to view him as younger because he's not that age that they want Got to convey. It. Yeah. So it just would have been better to get a younger actor, I think, to play him in those scenes. Whereas they just choose to have him portray it anyway. So right now, that is really the only thing coming to mind as I'm scrolling through these movies. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm in the... I think I'm in the same boat. I have a hard time with... I'm just going through all this. Everything I see, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And then it's like, all right, well, why don't we take him out? Take that person. I'll take this guy out. It's like, yeah. Like, there's no... None of these movies I'm looking at, I'm thinking, oh, this movie's great and I love it, but, man, it would have been great if we had this guy come in instead of this guy or this actress instead of that actress, you know? Yeah. Just going to scroll down halfway through. God dang it. I wish I would have wrote it down. Maybe I did. Well, if you find it. Just chime in and let me know. Nope, didn't find it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it would have been on. I got. I got a. I got a list of movies to watch on here. All movies I've seen though, so I don't know how much I like this list. Mm. It's movies I want to talk about that we've never talked about. But anyways, yeah. So I don't. I don't. I honestly, I don't have an answer. I think I. I was leaning towards like a Cohen film. I don't know if it. Somewhere in the maybe nineties. Yeah. So. Uh, he's got one last question. Okay. We're uh, going to do a better job with this one, Mike. Yes. Uh, also, which Tim Burton movie would you swap Johnny Depp for Nick Cage? Got to pick one. So, I had this thought. Oh, S- I know. Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. That's so funny that you said that. So, you go there, and I, I that was my first one. I go, no. <laughs> I'm Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Oh yeah, that would like, have been fucking good. <laughs> like he, because you know Nick Cage is gonna put a, like a really weird twist on Gene on Wild- Willy Wonka. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That would have been not do the weird Johnny Depp thing. Because Johnny Depp is like he's weird, but it always feels like too purposefully weird. Hey, like, what are you doing? There? Hey, you look want to go look at my look at the blue guys? Let's go. Yeah, look at how quirky I'm being. Aren't yeah. I weird? And then 
Nick Cage would add something to it that would actually make it a little bit disturbing. Yes. Like, he'd fucking creep you out. And I think that that would have been a smart choice. He wouldn't have even had the voice. It would have just been like Nick Cage. Like, you were like, that's just Nick Cage. As like it's not even Willy Wonka, it's just Nick Cage. Yeah, you know, and that's what would have been off-putting about it. You yeah, know? especially like when some of those like real life moments happen, and it's like he had he he just sucks you out of like and it's just this is actually going on. I just had a thought. Okay, instead of Tom Cruise in War of the Worlds, it's Nick Cage. Maybe I'm a little bit more onto that idea than you are. There's, okay, we're see, moving on. Here's <laughs> the thing. Here's the thing. All right. He's, we're getting into the here's the thing um, mode with Mac. That movie's already kind of don't know what I am. Mm-hmm. Anytime Nick get, Cage gets thrust into something, at least now, it's like it. It's almost like a meme. Mm-hmm. You know, the movie, it's just he, he, the movie's just going to be a meme. Yeah. You know, it's so you can't take it seriously. So like War of the Worlds, if he's in that, how do you have such something that Spielberg's trying to convey as being real versus Nick Cage and you being like, he, what is he doing? Yeah. You know, like it just be way too, there'd be two different contrasts. I don't know. I just want to see a version of it with Nick Cage. That's all you I really do, want. I, you could put Nick Cage in it. I don't have to see Nick Cage in the happening. <laughs> yes. That would have made the movie a lot better, honestly. <laughs> well, hey, it's one of your favorites. So Fucking, I mean. uh, what other movies does he got? <laughs> so, yeah, we said Sweeney Todd. There's Edward Scissorhands. I haven't seen Edward Scissorhands, so I don't know. He don't, probably would have did the same thing Depp did, I think. Yeah, I don't know if like how different of a performance that would have been. No, I think it would have been close. Willy Wonka, or not Willy Wonka, um, Alice in Wonderland, uh, where he's the Mad Hatter. Probably, that would have been all right, but probably around the same. Those are movies that I really couldn't give two shits about. Right. Like, I I have no interest in watching those. What's like less than the Hunger Games? It's just like you like doing like I will never ever ever watch it, and then I gotta go like, hey, we're gonna do Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, that's that's your cue. That's that's according to the script that I wrote out. Yeah. So, uh, Mac, you reading the notes right? Yeah, yeah. You did your homework. Yeah. I, I trust. <laughs> so there's that. Um, I don't think we had any more for uh, that one, did we? For that question, I'm trying unless, to think. Tim unless Burton there's other had one other. No, I'm good. I, I'm I'm I had read both those questions. So, I mean, I already had Willy Wonka picked out. I mm-hmm. really I thought that that movie got Johnny Drip, Johnny Drip, <laughs> Johnny Drip, <laughs> Johnny Drip, baby. He's got the drip, man. He fucking he made that thing like three stars less. <laughs> he was awful. In uh. In Willy Wonka? Yeah. I have not seen it in so long. I don't remember much from it. Saw it in theaters. Oh. Congratulations. Nope. Or I'm sorry. Dude. There was Dark Shadows. I guess that was directed by Tim Burton. Yeah. It's uh, Vampire with Johnny Depp. It's basically... It's like, I haven't seen it. There's Renfield coming out. We're, so we're already getting a Nick Cage vampire movie. Oh. Which we've already gotten kind of with Vampire's Kiss, but I don't know if I'd really count that. I don't because he it's just him thinking he's a vampire the entire time, but I don't know. It's hard to classify that one. That one's just in a league of its own. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Well, I guess oh, we'll. Damn it, Kyle! Every time I I, I want to pick this movie. I know. I know. Fucking you. I gotta. I gotta shit on it. I gotta just immediately. No, it's just we we have a theme. We can't go back to. Sad and depressing. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, with that bit of business out of the way. Yeah, right. There we go. Uh, you get to make a film pick recommendation, which it probably feels like you haven't been able to do that in a while since we talked about the Oscars and I then mean, we had know, my pick lined up. So many films I've seen. So, and mm. uh, even the films that I'm going to hear, I've seen. Mm. Um. Yeah. So... Are we saying what other movie we're doing, or do people yeah, just kind of? So, why don't you do that one? Why why kind of toss a coin here? Yeah, we kind of talked about it before we recorded, but we're probably going to talk about uh, the new John Wick film, John Wick Chapter Four. So that will be on the docket for episode forty-three, and then whatever else Mac picks for. So we're doing John. We'll do John Wick. Uh you know what? Maybe we'll just do two action films. I want. We're gonna. We're gonna do it. Let's uh, just do it. I want to watch this it. film again. It's got some good actors in it. We're gonna Rain of Fire. Rain of Fire. Have I'm gonna you look seen that up. That? Is it R A I N or R E I G N? That one. Okay. Rain of Fire. Uh the title sounds familiar. Is this the one with Oh hell yeah. It's the Christian Bale, Matthew McConaughey have one. Have you seen this? I've heard of this. Oh, there we go. I have not seen All it. Alright, well just that your face alone <laughs> is priceless for us to do this. I'm really like just based on the poster that I'm looking at right oh, now. Oh dude. I'm fucking pumped to see this. T- it'll go well with John Wick. <laughs> I'm so, so excited. For you guys that got through the <laughs> uh, last days. We're gonna we're gonna yeah. have a little bit more of an upbeat we'll episode do a little next pick time. Me up for you on the next one. Yeah, this one is an episode you can put on while listening to Nirvana. Next <laughs> one will be you can listen to our episode while having on ACDC. It looks like, dude, you can just be out. You'll just be like walk, vacuuming your living room having this sound. We're gonna be bringing the noise. Not even you don't even need music. Exactly, our voices are gonna be the tunes that will pleasure your eardrobes, eardrobes, earlobes. There we go. <laughs> I just made up a whole new term um cool awesome so if you guys don't want to be spoiled for uh reign of fire directed by bob what was his name i had it up but i did not read the full thing oh boy uh rob oh rob bowman nice not bob directed by rob bowman came out 2002 uh and john wick chapter four be sure to check those movies out before episode 43 Thank you guys for listening to us. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We're also on www.neoncrewpodcast.com. Uh, I've been putting out some more reviews, some more clip stuff, and uh, we're on various social medias. Check out our Facebook and our YouTube community page. Uh, I'll post on those as often as I can. And uh, appreciate you guys listening. McLean, is there anything else that we need to do before we wrap? Hell yeah, baby, WWTHD. Bye, everyone.